COVID, whatever that is, because as far as I'm concerned, it's just a bad flu. I'm Sonia Morton-Firth and you're tuned in to the Sonia Morton-Firth Show. Today, my guests are Sue Chatton and Stephen Jeffries, also known as Rebels on Roundabouts. In this interview, we discuss the initiative that is raising awareness, questions around the current situation and our freedoms. I believe health is the greatest form of wealth we have, which is why I'm so excited to be partnered with Brother in Arms. Brother in Arms is a wellness brand dedicated to working with veterans, first responders, and anyone on the front line. Through their education, support, and premium CBD products, they help alleviate and restore the lives of those that have been affected by physical and mental trauma. Learn about the life-changing benefits and power of CBD. Join their community today. Hit the link below. Sue, Stephen, welcome to my home. It is honestly an honour to have you here. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. It's great. It's been lovely. Uh, nice day for it as well. It is. <laughs> well, look, I am dying to get into the initiative we're here to talk about, and I won't say too much about it yet, because what I'd like to just get um, is a bit of background from both of you and how you came on to the initiative. So, I don't know who would like to go first. Sue, perhaps we'll start with ladies first. Sue, can you give me a little bit of your background and how you got to this point? Um, yeah, I mean, like you, I worked in uh, corporate for many years. And uh, 20, uh, sorry, 11 years ago, um, I got the opportunity to take uh, redundancy from a bank um, and literally snapped the hand off. And at that point, I decided never to work for somebody else again. And I went through a period of time doing mindset and, you know, really sort of changing my outlook on life. I've always been the sort of person that's not taken lightly to um, authority, uh, shall we say. So, I've yeah, I've always been a bit of a badass. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, met Steve uh, just four years ago. Um, so we, uh, we really hit it off straight away, didn't we? I think, uh, basically, however it works, I don't know. I'm not religious, I'm not particularly spiritual, but I believe that Steve and I are meant to be together for oh, this particular yeah. point in time to, um, to, to fight the fight, essentially. Yeah. That's what I believe. So, uh, so that's sort of, um, sort of my, yeah, very, very brief, yeah. Thanks, Sue. That's, that's lovely. And Steve, now tell me about you, because I know um, you've, got a, uh, you've got a very different background to Sue. Um, wanted to be a commando, wanted to either jump out of planes as a para or be a commando, get my green beret. Um, they looked at me, I was about four foot six. Well, not much, I was tiny when I left school, you know, about five foot. And uh, they said, you'd never, you, you're just too small, you'd never be a commando, but come and join the Royal Navy. So I joined the Royal Navy as a signaller um, and then I discovered that there was a pathway through to be able to do your all arms commando course. So I set my sights on that and it, you know, I was told that I couldn't do it because I was too small. And if anybody tells me I can't do something, I will go away and prove them wrong. So um, I literally, that was the pathway that I took. Um, I joined 148 Commando Battery, got straight through the commando training. First time, no problem. Did my parachute training. 
um, to, as peacekeeping duties towards uh, the, like 1997. And not long after that, then I left the military and then went straight into the fire service. Uh, well, about a two-year gap and then straight into the fire wow, service. Wow, so serving yeah. again. So first yeah. for your country, then for your Yeah, then for the community. community. Yeah. And um, how long were you in the fire service? So I was in the fire service from 2001, the beginning of 2001, I joined up. And then I left um, in, was it? April. It was yeah, April this year, pretty much. Um, Why did you leave? With the COVID agenda, as that came along, um, I could see that the fire service was completely signed up to it. You know, they were trying to enforce us to wear, as PPE as they called it, face masks while we were driving the fire engine while we were on the fire station. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at all this evidence and I'm saying, why are they telling us to do this when the evidence doesn't support it? Um, and it literally comes to the crunch that um, when they mandated it, um, they wanted me to wear a face mask while driving to emergency calls in the fire engine. And they all knew my views at work. I said, listen, there's a certain agenda going on. Um, and I think it's something that we should be researching into. We shouldn't just be taking what we're told, you know, as gospel. And I said, I won't wear a face mask driving the fire engine for fake reasons. If it was to save you know, protect other people around me, then I'd do it. But you guys don't believe it. You're only doing it because you're told to. And we literally got an emergency call. Um, I jumped on the front of the fire engine um, and the boss come up. He didn't even jump into the dry, into the passenger seat. I was sat in the driver's seat and he said to me, put your face mask on. And I said, I'm not going to do it. I've told you that. Come on, let's get on. Let's go and answer this emergency call. And instead of jumping on the fire engine, he turned round, walked back to the telephone call, uh, to the telephone, made a call to the control centre and said, you need to send another fire engine to this emergency because Steve Jeffries, the driver, will not wear a face mask. And what happened after that? Was that the turning point for you? Of Yeah, well, pretty much. Um, basically, then what happens is if you fail to respond, the telephone goes crazy. All the big bosses get informed and they're all ringing. Why could you not go to this to this uh, emergency call? Uh, so obviously I was a culprit. So all the big bosses were going to come down to see me. And I thought, right, well, bring it on then. Um, so they came down to see me um, and literally took me into... Uh, the following day it was because I went off shift. The big bosses were waiting for me. Um, took me into an office. Um, you know, why aren't you wearing a face mask? Why won't you do it? I said, I explained everything to them. They wouldn't listen. Uh, they said, we, we're providing you with some PPE. You've got to wear it to protect everybody. The usual, you know, the usual narrative. It's like they were reading off a script. What was just out of interest even, what was your argument against them um, for, trying to force you to, to wear the, the face masks and PPE? Basically, I looked at all the evidence and I could see that the reason that they want us to wear face masks is because it's a visual representation that there's this hidden colour around. So it keeps it in the public attention. So if the public see firefighters wearing face masks driving around, they think, oh, well, we've got respect for the firefighters. And if they're doing it, then we should do it. And it's keeping up that state of fear where all the evidence suggests that they don't work. So that's the reason why I was telling them I'm not going to wear it. You know, I'm an integral person. You learn integrity on the commando course. That's what you learn. You know, you've got to be honest with yourself and your feelings. 
and all the other people on that fire engine knew it was a load of nonsense but they they would just go along with it because that's what they were told and i said no i'm not going to do it i think that's quite an important point why were they just going along with it if you know they they agreed with you because if they go against the narrative they lose their income what they did is they tried to go down the mental health route with me i said it's um I've got an exemption because psychologically it would cause me severe distress to wear the face mask because I will be doing it for fake reasons, okay? Uh, and I couldn't live with myself with that. So they sent me to see a psychiatrist uh, and I was diagnosed with overvalued ideas regarding COVID-19, which I th that's, um, that is a clinical term and it means that your beliefs are neither delusional or I can't remember the exact phrase, but they, they are they're not delusional or obsessional, but they occupy the sufferer's mind to the, to the extent that it's controlling their life and they're abnormal beliefs. That's what they said. Stephen, on that, would you consider yourself a conspiracy theorist? Um, well, I've been labelled it massively, but um, it's almost like that I've had a crystal ball because everything that I was talking about, which people said, no, you're a conspiracy theorist, it seems like they've come true. You know, I told people um, in the summer of 2020 that we will eventually have to show our vaccine passports or a digital passport to get into somewhere. And that's come true. So um, I base all my beliefs on um, evidence and um, any, anything that I can see which is backed up by evidence, then I will base and, you know, I can see that that makes sense within, you know, within my heart and my mind, then I will go along with, with that. I'll make my own decision based on the evidence in front of me. And if I were just to play devil, devil's advocate, because there, there is probably a lot of people that are watching this that are thinking, well, aren't you re reading the science out there and looking at the stats and seeing what's happening? Um, and, and why are you going against what we're hearing? Yeah, well, and people are clearly dying and, 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 and getting COVID. Yeah, there's people getting COVID, you know, there's people that are dying after they've had these injections as well. Um, science is never settled uh, and there's two sides to a debate. And what most people are seeing is the scientists that are being put forward onto their te tele boxes in the corner of the room. Okay, there's a vast amount of um, really learned people, scientists, doctors, academics that have an alternative narrative to what we're being told on the TV. So science is never settled. I would say to people, have a look at both sides of the debate and then think for yourselves. And even if you've gone down one road now, you've been led to believe something, but then you're thinking that things aren't right, you know, don't be afraid and don't be ashamed to change your view if the evidence supports it. When you've got Robert Malone, Dr. Robert Malone, who is the inventor essentially of mRNA technology and he's saying these vaccines will stop you know this yeah. role like you know you've got 12,000 doctors and eminent scientists that have just signed a, a declaration to say this has to stop why do you think we're not hearing more about that because as, as you, you rightly said dr um dr malone 
um, who was the inventor of the mRNA, <laughs> it's a bit of a tongue twister <laughs> virus, um, uh, has, has, has spoken out about it. This is the problem, isn't and it? Yet the, why, are we, why do you think we're not hearing about this? Total censorship, isn't it? You know, the, 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 this is the narrative they want pushing on most people, this one narrative, and anything outside of that narrative, unless you are the sort of person that will go and look elsewhere, outside of your mainstream media, you're not going to find out about these people. I mean, even down to just using Google as your search engine. Stop using Google. So <laughs> I guess if I was sitting here, and again, I'm, I'm, you know, playing, I think people know my views, but just to, to play devil's advocate, um, why why are they doing it? If, if, if what you're saying is true, which sounds quite, you know, oh, gosh, can, like there's this big thing that's going on. Why are they doing it? What, what, what's the, the purpose behind all of this? Well, I mean, we're very, very well aware of the fact that we've got this massive agenda and the, the agenda is to have cont complete control over the population and to depopulate. You know, there's, as far as the elitists are concerned or the globalists or whatever you want to call them are concerned, there's far too many people on the planet. If you look at uh, the analogy that Steve's used several times now, you know, when his dad was born in 1945, I think it was, there was something like 3.2 billion people on the two, planet. Just 2 billion. Uh, sorry, 2 yeah. billion. And it's now 7.8. If you go on worldometers.info mm -hmm. and click on population, you can see the population ticking up, you can see the births, you can see the deaths, and then the net population is rising. But if you click on it, there's a graph. And it starts from literally the beginning of our calendar and then it goes 200 years AD, 400 years and goes on until 20, uh, until basically the Industrial Revolution. So, and it's a, it's the a population growth just made slightly increasing. Then it goes vroom, right up there like that. And it's just like, wow. So, so the elitists believe that there's too many people on the planet and basically we're the useless eaters and... We were not necessary. They need to get rid of so us. So. Is it is it the COVID that's getting rid of us? I mean, if you look at the death rates of last year in comparison to other years, I think um, at some point you went back about 50 odd years, didn't you? It was insignificant. You know, there was just nothing out of the ordinary about 2020. So COVID, whatever that is, because as far as I'm concerned, it's just a bad flu. You know, whatever it might be, it's just a bad flu. We needed a bad flu. Say, we didn't have one for two years. And so. I, I've had, I've had COVID, and, and like you say, it was a flu. But I might not be saying that if I was a ninety-year-old uh, no, person that had comorbidities, had some underlying health issues. Exactly. But even if it had just been flu, you'd have still probably died. But also add that into the fact that the way that the deaths have been dealt with as well. You know, people being. Uh, taken from hospitals, put back into care homes without any real sort of um, working out what was wrong with them, you know, into a, a place where it would just you know, run right, like wildfire through the homes. You've got the way that the, the deaths were labelled. You know, even if you got run over by a bus, you were a COVID death. I believe it will come out that we've had far more deaths from the back end of December, early January, and going forward with the uh, injections so tell me, how did this initiative, Rebels on Roundabouts, come about? Basically, um, a group of people come together uh, and we stand on the roundabouts 
and we, we've got these placards, we hold them out, um, and we're trying to give the public a different narrative from what they're seeing on the TV. And it was amazing because as soon as we, soon as we were there holding these signs, um, people were beeping the horns and you know giving us a thumbs up out of the window. Um, so we then knew that there was lots of people out there that had a similar viewpoint to us. So let's talk about some of the slogans that I've seen on these beautiful placards. They're, they're amazing. They're an absolute work of art. One of the slogans that I saw, not slogans, but um, statements I saw that, that I found particularly um, uh, concerning was children are 50 times more likely um, to, to uh, die or have some complications with the vaccine than if they got COVID? Well, yeah, because, I mean, if you look at the statistics, children's, the, stati the, the, the chance of a child catching COVID, let alone dying from it, is literally zero. Well, at the moment, censorship is, is going on, and I'm hoping this isn't going to be censored from YouTube. <laughs> uh, why, why do you think, I mean, censorship, I didn't even believe that in my lifetime with, with, with no censorship. I mean, definitely in different countries, but certainly not living here in England where people fought for our freedom. We consider us, ourselves quite a, living in a free society. Um, and yet today we're being heavily censored. Where, where do you think we're going to go next? There's an article in this month's um, light paper, which uh, I read. I've actually seen it before, It's it's been from, from some time ago, but it was somebody writing as if they were living in 2030, but we were living in a completely free society and things had changed and we'd managed to change things around and it was beautiful. And uh, if you can get your hands on the light paper and read that article, it's, it is really, really good. So uh, it depends on which way it goes. You know, if we allow um, the world to carry on in the vein that it's carrying on at the moment, then we will walk right into a totally dystopian future that we'll have nothing. We, as Klaus Schwab very eloquently puts it in his uh, Great Reset and Fourth Industrial Revolution, you will own nothing and be happy. Hmm. So what is the one message that if, if, you, if, if someone could take something away from today's uh, chat, from our chat today, or from Rebels on Roundabouts, what would you like people to take away or action? I'd like to say uh, Rebels on Roundabouts is for everybody. It's not just about the people that, that have known what's going on f since the beginning of this and, be and before that as well. Um, you know, it, people that are just waking up to this and realising that there's something really not right in the world at the moment. Um, please find us, rebelsonroundabouts.com, on Telegram, Rebels on Roundabouts. We're dead easy to find. And we'll put um, the links. In yeah, the and, you know, just... Go and have a chat. There'll be somewhere in your area or quite close by where you can find uh, one of these groups holding the yellow boards up. Just go and have a chat with them and just find out what they've got to say. Um, because, you know, we're not bad people. We're here to, to, to try and unite people again and to, you know, and to change things for the better. Well, I That's think, what we I think want. that... The, the phrase you just said, we're here to unite people, I think that's a, that's a powerful message. Um, and unfortunately, I think the narrative has got so much into vax, non-vax, conspiracy theorists, non-conspiracy theorists, it's really dividing mm. people up. Their agenda is to divide and conquer, and they're doing a really good job of dividing us. We need to turn that around, 
okay so let's talk to people talk to local people even if you have a different viewpoint listen value that person's opinion and then go away and critically think about your own opinions and about theirs and try and use it as evidence-based and grab that evidence from many different sources and think if there's something not quite right in your mind you know think about that you know and then just follow what you truly believe not what you be you've been told i love that so i want to ask my final question and i think it's quite pertinent um and that's and I and I can I can ask it to, to both of you or individually. Let let's let let me ask the question though. If you were to write a message in a bottle for future generations to find, what would the message be? Keep an eye on what governments do. Do not let your freedom go. Make sure that your you keep um, your knowledge. Don't let somebody else take that knowledge from you. Um, I would say um, try and learn from history because I think one thing that we haven't learned is that we haven't learned from history. Mm. Just look back into history. Don't think that it could never happen again. Stephen, Sue, I think ending on that note is great. Thank you so much for being guests on my show and standing Thank in your you. truth. Thank, Thank you, so you. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, there's a new interview out every Monday, so hit subscribe and like and you'll get it straight into your inbox.